It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everyone, to a Monday evening episode of Lockdown Rockets, the only daily podcast covering the NBA's best, well, at least regular season basketball team, postseason still to be determined. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official flagship. As we chat on this Monday, it's an off day for the Rockets. They'll be back at practice tomorrow, gearing up for Wednesday's Game 2. So to discuss what happened last night in Game 1, and also look ahead to Game 2 on Wednesday night, I'm joined by a frequent guest here at Lockdown Rockets. It's Craig Ackerman. He is the team's radio play-by-play broadcaster these first two games, which you can hear on News Radio 740 here in Houston. And then for the TV call this weekend on AT&T Sportsnet Southwest. Craig, how's it going today, buddy? Hey, it's doing well. Beautiful day in Houston. Uh, Rockets uh, got a win last night. Perhaps maybe they should not have gotten under most circumstances, but uh, we'll take it and hope the team improves moving along in this series. Craig, how's your voice holding up after the uh, calls that James Harden gave you in the fourth quarter? <laughs> it's, it's a little scratchy today. Uh, I was actually out uh, at my uh, soccer match yesterday afternoon won the game, but it was a little windy, so it certainly didn't help uh, the throat a little bit, uh, but James was just uh, spectacular, as he was, for the most part, the entire uh, regular season. The Rockets needed every last bit of his uh, 44 uh, last night. He carried his team uh, to the win, and uh, if that's the case, uh, moving forward, uh, I'll deal with, uh, with the scratchy voice uh, uh, you know, for the next two months, hopefully. Given the way the last playoff run ended, do you take anything extra out of Game 1 having that quintessential Harden game? Because fair or unfair, the questions have been out there since the end of Game 5, all of Game 6 last year against the Spurs. So in a way, it almost felt fitting that the start to this playoff run, a lot of players up and down the roster underachieved, but ultimately they still won because James Harden was that good. So if anything, I'm not going to say that it makes up for what happened in the conference semifinals, but it at least lets everyone start fresh going into this 2018 playoff run. Is that a reasonable assessment? I mean, I think it's, it's reasonable. I mean, I think, obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a new season. Uh, it's a new postseason, so there's a chance to, you know, um, write another chapter uh, in his career. And, again, he was just uh, spectacular last night in Game 1 uh, of this series. But, look, the pressure is on the Rockets. Um, there's no question about 
in franchise history. The best record in the NBA was 65 wins. Um, and James said it himself last night. It was good, but it was just one game, and, and that's what it was. Um, they're going to need him to play at this level if they're going to live up, again, to the lofty expectations that they set for themselves with the way that they played uh, in the regular season. I mean, this team isn't this team was expected to win this series anyway and win it relatively easily as a one versus uh, eight. Um, but again, on a night where, you know, as you mentioned, some other guys struggled, he picked up the slack. I think we saw that multiple times throughout the course of the regular season. Even on those rare nights where James Harden had some issues, there was typically always another guy or two to pick it up. But he was just the, the player last night outside of uh, Clint Capello in the first half to uh, carry his his team uh, to victory is a great way from an individual standpoint for him to begin another postseason. Uh, but again, the pressure is still very much on him and this team to ultimately make a deep playoff run because if they don't, um, then in essence, the, the regular season gets nullified a little bit. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but the way it looked to me from an X's and O's standpoint was that the pick and roll, especially the high pick and roll with Capella, so successful early in the game, it got squeezed a little bit in the second half in part because the shooters didn't have to be respected as much. And so kind of conversely what had to happen is just James Harden make plays one-on-one and Daryl Morey's called him the best player in NBA history and best isolation player that is. And ultimately that's what won the game last night. It wasn't the pick and roll. It was just one-on-one, him against Derrick Rose, him against Jimmy Butler, whoever the defender Harden just had enough moves between the step back, going to the rim. He actually had a couple of underrated, I thought, finishes in traffic last night. But really, it seemed to be an isolation game, and fortunately, uh, James was able to get it done. Yeah, he was awesome. And uh, early in the game, again, as you mentioned, the, the Rockets with him and Capella just destroyed Minnesota. I mean, outside all of the really good teams in the league, and I'm, you know, I'm counting the, the 16. Uh, playoff teams plus the Denver Nuggets. I mean, outside of Denver, Minnesota has the most difficulty defending the high screen and roll. The Rockets just did that over and over and over again in the first half, and that's why Point Capella was so successful. And what a game he had at both ends of the floor. He was terrific as well. I don't want this to kind of get lost in the shuffle. I mean, Point Capella was was amazing last night. I, I thought for the most part also P.J. Tucker defensively had, had a really good game. But, yeah, I mean, it, it came down to James in essence in the second half especially down the stretch, just doing everything himself. And, uh, you know, that's what that's what great players do. Uh, that's why so very few teams in the NBA, honestly, legitimately have chances to compete for a championship because players of James Ilk are so few and far between. And typically those guys rise up and get their teams, um, you know, through some adversity. And, and he, did, he did all of that uh, and then some uh, last night. I mean, look, look, with that said, though, the Rockets could use Ryan Anderson in this series against Minnesota. He extends the floor spacing, especially vertically, against the T-Wolves. Um, he has shot it terrifically well against them uh, this season. Hopefully he'll be back in Game 2, if not in time uh, for Game 3. But the Rockets obviously need better games from Chris Paul. I mean, that might have been the worst game he's played um, all season. Trevor Reza, who ended the regular season uh, in a shooting slump, began the postseason in a shooting slump. Eventually he will make the turn uh, the other direction, as we've seen during his two stints with the Rockets, he tends to ride the shooting roller coaster. At some point, he's going to head back upward, and when he does, he's going to start hitting a lot of shots. Eric Gordon has to be better than one of seven uh, from three. Uh, even though, again, P.J. Tucker needs to shoot it better from three than one of five, but I thought he contributed despite the, the poor shooting. But again, so there, there are a lot of reasons and ways the Rockets can improve uh, moving forward. But again, they, they got the win. Uh, there's no style points, especially in the playoffs. 
and they're up 1-0 in this series, and hopefully they can go up 2-0 after Wednesday. We're talking now with Craig Ackerman, Rockets lead play-by-play broadcaster. We'll have more from Craig in just a moment after a brief break for our sponsors. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Craig, we spent a lot of the initial segment, of course, discussing the things Harden did right. I'm not going to say that he did much wrong, but what's being discussed a lot on Twitter today is the controversy of is his step back a travel, which it's been pretty firmly shown by the NBA throughout the year that they don't believe it is. They've actually, through the official NBA ref's account, communicated several times exactly what goes into the gather step. But after one of his moves in the fourth quarter last night, it seems to have come up again. My take, I honestly don't know the rule that well because it's happening so quickly and with the gather step there's a lot of gray to it so I'm not 100% sure what is and what isn't but what stands out to me when the league office has been as forward as they have on this particular issue and this morning Mark Jones of ESPN I'm reading his tweet when I say this spoke to an NBA ref on this move it isn't a travel it's basically a plant foot plus two steps to his jump shot the plant foot is nothing and the one two step is viewed as legal in the NBA, Bradley Beal, Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan all do the same move. So it's one of the things, I guess it comes to the territory of being a really good team in the playoffs. We've heard a lot of the Warriors and their alleged moving screens in years past, yada, yada. If anything, I kind of like the fact that we're getting this out of everyone's system in round one against Minnesota, a team that the Rockets should be able to beat regardless, as opposed to this becoming a you know a huge firestorm for whatever reason later in the playoffs against Oklahoma City, Golden State, a team like that that could actually beat you. But what's your reaction when you see some of the things that are out there on Twitter today? I'm not sure how this can even be a discussion if the NBA officials say that's not a travel. Then it's Same. not a travel. Um, I, look, I, I've, I've gone to broadcast meetings in years past, and every time you go to the NBA's broadcast meetings, there's a session with NBA officials, and there's, you know, everybody from all the teams around the league, I don't know how many of us, to 250 people or whatever it is in a room, and, and one of the things, exercises that they do is they run through some plays uh, that are up for interpretation, and then they literally just sort of call out people in the audience, colleagues of mine all over the league, and, and put you on the spot and say, okay, what's the deal, what's the call here, and most of the time, those of us who follow the game as closely as we do tend to kind of get it wrong. Um, and that's why I, I realize there's a lot of, you know, conversation and issues surrounding NBA officiating. Uh, but I still think, it, can it be more consistent? Can it be improved? Yes. Are there ways for it to get better? Absolutely. Uh, and that's what they're striving to do, um, both as referees and from a league office uh, standpoint. But these are still the best officials uh, in, in the world. Just go watch 
for real at the highest level. If they say it's not a travel, then it's not a travel. And outside of that, it's just basically uh, fodder for Twitter and talk show conversations. And um, and, and, and that's that. I mean, if, if, like I said, I, I, don't, I don't understand why there's an issue with it. Now, you mentioned several players that do it. There are all kinds of players all over the league that have duplicated, that have step back, or at least have, have tried to. Uh, it's a move that a player's um, respect. Um, it's his go-to move. I mean, it's basically, you know, you look at Kareem Skyhook, the dream shake. I mean, James's step back is, is um, a vintage, a spork uh, move that he has carved out a niche for himself and it's so successful using. And again, if the NBA and their officials say it's not a travel, I'm not sure where the controversy is. I think that's a good way to... Uh in that discussion. If the NBA is as forward as they've been on this issue, I don't know what the point is in really arguing other than, of course, on Twitter and some of the screaming shows, a lot of these folks, <laughs> they just want something to talk about. Let's just be honest. So I think we can move on from there. Uh, the other big storyline in a positive way from game one, of course, was Clint Capella. You touched on him earlier, but especially when you contrast it to how much he struggled in round one a year ago against Steven Adams. Now, I know Carl Anthony Towns is a different type of player than Steven Adams, but I would think that if you're the Rockets, it has to make you feel really good to see Clint Capella, still relatively young at 23, but to play that well against one of the NBA's elite bigs, not just offensively with his 24 points, 10 to 15 shooting, but he had the stamina, played 34 minutes, held Carl Anthony Towns just eight points, three of nine shooting, it was about as good as you could hope for from a guy who's clearly in your big three, was it not? Oh, without a doubt. He had the, what, 25 and 23 earlier season against Denver. Did I get his numbers right? Just 25 and 23. I think so. Yep. Which was the best game of his career. I think he was, I think last night actually eclipsed that. Mm. Um, especially with what he did in, in the first half. And again, the three blocks, the steals. Carl um, Anthony Townsend normally puts up huge numbers against the Rockets was basically invisible last night. And I think Clint Capella and P.J. Tucker had a lot to do with that um, defensively. He, he was spectacular. Now, can we expect him to go 20-12, and 12, you know, every game the rest of the series in the postseason? Probably not. Um, I'm not sure if he's that high volume of a, of a score. But he was absolutely terrific, the efficiency that you expect from Clinton. And, look, he missed a couple of bunnies as well uh, last night. But he was springy. He was energetic. Um, he was defending the rim. Uh, he was he was terrific, and I think that was probably under the circumstances with being a playoff game. I thought that was probably the best game he's ever played as a pro. Conversely, what went wrong with Chris Paul last night? Five of five of fourteen from the field, six uncharacteristic turnovers. Was it anything a matter of rust? Of course, he's missed some time lately with the leg injury, or was it just one of those rare? bad games that everybody has from time to time. Just curious if, if you saw anything that Minnesota specifically did to him or if it was just more unforced errors from Chris and then just missing a few shots. No, he was just bad. I mean, I, I, I just, he looked like he was pressing a little mm. bit. I mean, I, I'm not sure how much nerves he had last night. I mean, he's been in the league forever. He's been in all kinds of playoff games. And I don't know, maybe he was a little nervous in his, in his first game with his first playoff game with his new team. I don't know. It just looked like he was a little, he was pressing nervous. He was uncertain. Um, normally we've, we've seen him just, he's, he's, there, he's always a calming, steady influence on the floor. But he just, he just looked, he just didn't look like himself last night. And uh, I, it's probably, it's probably just an aberration. He just had a really bad game. It, it happens. Unfortunately, it happened in his first playoff game uh, with his new team. But again, they, they won it. So um, you can learn from it and, and move forward. I expect him to be a heck of a lot better 
think it was anything that they did. I just think that he just had a, a, an off game. And, and then when things were poor for him early, uh, outside of the stretch for him to hit a couple of, couple of baskets in a row in the fourth quarter, he was pretty good in the last couple of minutes of the first quarter. But when he, I, I think maybe when, when the game began and he was, you know, what, he had no shots, uh, no mates, three turnovers early in the first quarter, maybe that caused him to really press um, as the game wore on. I mean, he missed, um, you know, he missed a free throw, which is relatively uh, uncharacteristic of him being a 92% shooter of the season. I just chalk it up as a, as a bad game. And again, maybe he was pressing, but I expect him to be a whole heck of a lot better moving forward. That's Craig Ackerman. We're going to take one final break for our sponsors and then be back for the final segment to talk a little bit more about Game 2 on Wednesday. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast. And being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Craig, we talked about game two a bit in this prior segment with regards to Chris Paul adjustments moving forward, specifically for Chris. In terms of the pulse of the series, in terms of the psychology of both of these teams, I know you can often have wild variations from one game to the next, but to me, it it almost feels like Minnesota missed a golden opportunity because the Rockets, so many of the issues they had, we mentioned it with Chris, but we could also say the shooters overall, outside of James Harden, they were just 3 of 25 from 3, they were unforced errors. It wasn't like Minnesota did something to where they weren't getting their threes. They just didn't go in. And then the flip side of it, Minnesota had a, at least on offense a ridiculously good game from Derrick Rose, which almost never happens. It felt like... He's had two of them now against the Rockets yeah. this year. The best two games he's played all season. Yeah, and Minnesota got so many things to go right. The Rockets, now they did have an epic game from James Harden, and Clint Capella, especially in the first half, was dominant. But it felt like when you look at what's sustainable moving forward, the Rockets probably have a lot better to move uh, to feel better about heading into Game Two than Minnesota does. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think from their perspective, yes, that that was a game that they had uh, and didn't get, and uh, they had a chance to steal home court and shock a lot of people uh, by winning that game, but ultimately didn't. They did not because of the greatness of uh, James Harden, but. Towns, again, was invisible. I, I thought, again, Tucker and Capel, I think, had a lot, um, excuse me, to, 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 to do with that. <clears throat> but I expect him to be much better uh, moving along uh, in the series. In his career, he's averaged almost 26 points a game against the Rockets. So I imagine him to be much better moving forward. I, I would also think that their bench, which was for the second year in a row, the worst unit uh, in the league, maybe perhaps that's because of the lack of usage by their coach, who knows, I don't expect them to be that much better than they were than the, than the Rockets fans, I mean the 
shoot 43% from three in this series the rest of the way against Minnesota they did in the regular season? Probably not. But they're not going to shoot 27% moving forward. If they do, then they can be and probably will be in a lot of trouble. I, I think the Rockets had quite a few open looks um, that, you know, they had a lot of round and outs and things like that. Any shots that typically under normal circumstances would drop. If the Rockets just shot their season average last night against Minnesota, this is a double-digit win as it basically is against these guys. So I, to me, I, th- this is what this series uh, was supposed to have been about last night and I think will continue to be about moving forward. This is the Matt Bolton series. Three is greater than two. The Rockets are the absolute worst matchup possible for Minnesota because they exchanged twos for threes, and I, I don't expect the Rockets to shoot 27% from three as a team moving forward. Other guys will shoot it better, and again, hopefully Ryan Anderson will be back sooner rather than later, because I think in this particular matchup, he is really important with his vertical spacing and has played great against Minnesota uh, this season. Um, you know, Obviously, we're not going to have Luke, but hopefully they'll get Ryan back uh, by game three at the latest. But uh, to me... That, that remains the key here. That's the, that's the reason why the Rockets have dominated Minnesota for four consecutive seasons and have really dominated them in the Mike D'Antoni era and reasons why I think they will continue to win games in this series with relative ease because they're going to hit their threes and Minnesota's just not going to shoot enough to keep up. And again, the Rockets, I, I don't think they're missing 27 of 37 again moving on. If, again, if they do, I'd be really concerned. What's the adjustment for Minnesota? Is it just getting more shots for Butler and Towns? Because ultimately, it's hard to see what they could do that much better. Now, certainly Towns, 8 points, 3 of 9 from the field. Butler, 4 of 11. Now, I know there's the weird thing with Butler's wrist that he was kind of playing coy with. So maybe he's not 100%. He's also coming back from the meniscus. But from a tactical standpoint, is there that much that Minnesota is likely to do differently? Or is it just a matter of trying to get those stars more engaged than they were in Game 1. And, of course, a big part of the struggles in Game 1 had to do with how well the Rockets defended them, correct? Oh, absolutely. I thought their, the Rockets' defense was, was terrific. Again, like I said, Minnesota, they're going to be basically 8 of 23, 8 of 22 from 3 in every game. That's what, they, that's what they've been all season. That's what they're going to be moving forward. They get to the free throw line a ton. They actually outshot the Rockets at the free throw line, but I expect them to continue to shoot. A lot of free throws would be very good at the foul line as they were in game one at 82%, 23, 28. So I don't think that's going to, that number is going to move in either direction anyway. So they basically were their, their, their regular selves at the foul line. They were their usual selves from three. Um, they outdid themselves in terms of their bench play. And really the only area I think that they can, as a team, improve upon is Towns having a much bigger impact moving forward because that's what he's proven against the Rockets offensively where he's put up 20-25 points against Houston with regularity. So I expect him to be a whole heck of a lot better, but I think of all their main guys who played last night, he had the lowest uh, usage rate. So I'm not so sure as much as Towns had a bad game, but that's necessarily on him or other guys. So if you're going to give him the ball more and have him use it more, you're going to take away from somewhere else. So I'm not exactly sure how much room for improvement the Wolves have moving forward. And again, with that said, as you said, that, that, that's a game that they probably feel like they're kicking themselves. They should have won it last night. The Rocks, I mean, there's all kinds of room for improvement. Now, I think James will regret a little bit. I don't think you can expect him to average 44 a game in this series and knock down seven of his 12 threes, but I certainly think it's reasonable a reasonable expectation moving forward that you're not going to get a horrible game from Chris Paul again. Um, that Eric Gordon will 
ultimately will snap out of the shooting slump. Um, so I, I think there are many areas for the Rockets uh, to improve, and honestly, I'm just not so sure if, if there is much room for improvement outside of town. It's just having a better showing for Minnesota. Is there anything tactically you think they need to do differently, the Rockets, with Chris Paul getting him the ball in certain spaces on the floor, or just is it just a matter of game one had nothing to do with that, he had a bad game, and just bounce back and hopefully get back to the version of Chris we saw against Portland and L.A. down the stretch of the regular season? I think he was just bad last night. I mean, I think he admitted it as well. I'm not sure if there was anything tactically or stylistically that can change. Um, he had open shots uh, that he missed, one of six from three. Uh, again, he had a good stretch in the first, a couple of decent possessions uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, I expect him. I just expect him to be better because he has proven that he's he's better uh, than this. Um, I just think it was a. It was just a bad game, and, and we'll see we'll see better from him uh, moving along. What did he average? I'm trying to see here. Do I have the numbers in front of me? What did Chris average against these guys um, in the regular season? He averaged 16, 8, and 8 against them. Now, did not shoot the three well against them. He shot 48%. Yeah, 48% overall. overall. Yeah, so uh, he, he's better than what, what he showed last night. And I, I, I don't think there's any reason to be overly concerned that he won't be better than he was in game one because I'm not sure if it's possible for him to have a worse game than he did. So the, the, there's only one way to go for him, and I expect him to be, uh, you know, Chris Paul-like uh, the rest of the series. Yeah, and beyond just the 16 and 8, he had only two and a half turnovers in 34 minutes per game against Minnesota this year compared to 8.3 assists. So when you have an assist turnover ratio of better than three to one, only two and a half in 34 minutes, it's not like the Timberwolves did anything to him in the regular season that made him turnover prone. And obviously some of those last night, most notably the, the final one with 10 seconds left, were just, you know, it's nothing about what they're doing. It was just a bad decision at a bad time. And hopefully you learn from it, you move on. Craig, last question for you. I meant to get to this earlier, I forgot. Did you see the replay of the final 10 seconds of that game when apparently the TNT cameras caught Mike D'Antoni seemingly signaling the foul after that Chris Paul turnover? That's what made me think of it. And then the final possession, they didn't come close to fouling. Now, Jimmy Butler didn't even attempt a three. His foot was inside the line, so it would have mattered even if that went in. But have you ever seen anything like that? It almost felt like the Rockets were trying to psych them out on that final with, with a fake foul signal. I don't know how much I buy that, but it was really fascinating watching the replay of that sequence and what went down in the final 10 seconds. No, I have not seen the replay. To me, it's the fact that both teams, James, James shot one free throw, and then they go to commercial. They take a timeout, and they come back, and everybody thought he had another free throw coming um, on the miss. And oh, yeah. everybody, even the Rockets, are just standing around. And then Towns certainly looked like he walked and then handed the ball to the referee, who in turn handed it back to him and led to a Wiggins dunk at the, dunk at the <laughs> other end. I mean, uh, in a game where it came down to one possession, I mean, how how weird, how controversial would that have, that sequence have been um, if not, you know, if, if, say, Butler had stepped back all the way and knocked down a three? Uh, that was just... Strange. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before. Where everybody, including the referees, had no idea what the situation sure. uh, was on the floor. I mean, that's as much on Houston as it is on Minnesota, as it is on the officials. I mean, there's no reason, no excuse for 13 grown men on the floor to have no idea what the, what the situation 
there, but the Rockets uh, prevailed. Um, look, I, I am. I think the Rockets have, have shown that this season. I, my philosophy is when you're up by three, especially when the team is out of timeouts, as was the case with Minnesota, and you basically um, you get basically between under eight seconds. I'm fouling. I, I'm not giving the opponent a chance to get up. Uh, a tying three, um, and that's just my philosophy. I think if it's more than eight seconds to go, then I get it for interpretation. There's probably too much time remaining, especially if the team has a timeout left. I, I understand coaches not doing that, but just my personal philosophy is that if I'm under five, I'm always fouling. If I'm, if I'm in a situation between five and eight seconds, as basically last night's final possession was, uh, I'm probably still fouling. I just don't feel comfortable giving NBA players a chance to get off a, a three to tie in those situations, and I think when you play the game out like that, especially when you have quality free throw shooters on your roster, you just you just kind of play out the string and, and salt it away uh, at the foul line. But yeah, the, the, the free throw sequence with Towns and the officials, and then the ending of that game was crazy. Um, it was not the cleanest play playoff game, but again, um, no style points. The Rockets won it, and uh, I imagine they'll be much better. Yeah, and I would guess a lot of it comes from the regulars that not played since last Tuesday. They had the latest playoff game late on Sunday night, so you had five days off, really more than that. And you got to go back to March for the last time that they were not locked into the number one seed. So there's probably just Portland, a lot of... I think it was the last time they played a meaningful... The, the, the win at Portland when they ended their 13-game winning streak was probably the last time they legitimately were playing a game that had significant meaning to it. It's been a while. Yeah. That's a reasonable assessment. And I think as a result, they were not. And I, I, I would admit that was a concern for me going into game one. That they were not particularly sharp in the last two, two and a half weeks of the regular season. Now they had, well, they had a good half against Portland. They had a good half, a pretty good game, generally speaking, against Washington. But outside of that, they, they weren't particularly sharp in their final dress rehearsal against the Lakers on that last road trip. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, again, I. I, that bothered me a little bit going into the going into this series, uh, but needless to say, they played a, a pressure-packed uh, game last night. So for, for whatever reason, hopefully some of that that uh, that sharpness that was lacking because of the, the lack of urgency in the last couple of weeks of the regular season is now out of their system, and they can get back to to looking like the team that they looked like for the majority of the regular season, especially against Minnesota. Absolutely. Well, Craig, thanks so much for the time. You've got one more game on the radio call on the Rockets radio network Wednesday night for game two. And then when the series shifts to, shifts to Minnesota Saturday and Monday, that's when you get to go with Bull on the AT&T Sportsnet uh, local TV calls, correct? Correct, yes, sir. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it. What, this will be your second year getting to do playoff TV calls, correct? Yeah, I only got one game last year because game four was uh... – was on ABC and I did radio and that was over that was over at five so it's, it's nice that uh, I think outside of game seven um, every one of these games uh, in this first round series is, is available locally on AT&T Sportsnet so I'm, I'm happy about that but like I, I enjoy I really enjoy calling games either way and, and I'm hoping to call many many more radio games between now and yeah. in the middle of June we'll keep our fingers crossed absolutely we'll hope that we at least get you a win this time I suppose the one negative last year game three against Oklahoma City the one game you got to call and that was the only loss in that series so. it was a heck of a game though yep it, sure. was a fun, it was a heck of a game it was fun sure was you know, I mean you can't win everyone you can't win them all but it was all you can ask for is is uh, you know a lot more having everybody for a nice easy win but um you know, uh, yeah. I'll take uh, I'll take an exciting game uh, when I get them. Uh, certainly makes uh, things a lot more fun for me personally. Absolutely.
absolutely. And no offense, but I think you're on board and hoping that there is no Game 6 for you to call in Minnesota of this series, and then we can just move on. Yes, I hope hope, and this thing should, based on the matchups, should be over, I think, uh, uh, before uh, it gets uh, that far. But, hey, you never know. Minnesota, um, they got a lot of talent. They do. They really do. I mean, their starting five is is outstanding. I, I just think for them... It's not. It's not because it's a typical one versus eight talent discrepancy here. For them, the issue is just is a matchup problem, and it's not. It's not a talent deficit, you know, deficit for them because they have a lot of it. Um, that's not the issue here. Uh, it's the fact that the Rockets are the worst possible matchup for Minnesota um, for a playoff series because it's just stylistically um, their shot profile is so significantly different than that of the Rockets, and mathematically the numbers for them. Um, just, just don't add up. They have, yeah. they have plenty of talent to win. They have plenty of talent to compete with with any team in the league in a, in a playoff series. This is just a, a matchup that just is a nightmare for them. And, and again, I just don't, I just don't see Houston and Minnesota being played to a standstill for three in another game in this series. And if that's the case, if it's been for years now, then um, Minnesota, because of that reason and that reason alone. They just, they just can't beat the Rockets in the playoff series. Yep, I would agree. They're certainly a more talented team, unfortunately, for the Rockets than the San Antonio Spurs, who the Warriors drew in the first round. But conversely, the matchup seems to be very favorable to Houston. I think it's evidenced by last night, a night in which so many things went wrong for the Rockets, but ultimately they still got the victory. So, Craig, with any luck, hopefully you'll get to call a series-winning game in uh, Game 4. Still a ways to go, but we'll keep our fingers crossed. And then from there, hopefully you've got quite a few radio calls in the weeks ahead after that. Craig, thanks so much. I hope so. Yep. Well, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for the time, as always. Appreciate it. I'll see you on Wednesday, okay? Bye, man. Take care. Thank you. You too. That's Craig Ackerman, Rockets radio and television play-by-play voice for the radio. He's across the Rockets radio network, and on television, he'll be doing the calls this weekend with Matt Bullard in Minnesota. Those are the local broadcasts for Game 3 and Game 4 when the Rockets are in Minneapolis for those two games on Saturday and Monday night. We've gone a little bit long on this episode, so I don't want to have anything beyond this because, well, we're going to have a lot more to talk about in the days ahead. We'll see if we can line up one more interview tomorrow, and then, of course, Wednesday night, we'll be back to post-game coverage when we see what happens in Game 2 when the Rockets and Timberwolves get together again at Toyota Center before that series shifts to Minneapolis. So, until our future shows, if you want more content from me, the best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm at Ben DuBose, B-E-N-D-U-B-O-S-E. The show also has a Twitter handle, at Lockdown Rockets. Also go to website, LockdownRockets.com, a Facebook at Facebook.com slash Lockdown Rockets. That's our official Facebook page. And you can subscribe to us, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Megaphone, pretty much wherever you listen to your podcast. Just search for Lockdown Rockets, or really search for any NBA team that's in the playoffs. We've got a great network across the Lockdown Podcast Network of local coverage covering every team in the playoffs. So if you want more insight on the Timberwolves or any of the other 14 teams that are currently playing in this first round of the 2018 NBA playoffs, then the Lockdown Podcast Network, in my opinion, is the best place to get it. Once again, thanks to Craig Ackerman, Rockets lead play-by-play voice, for coming by. If you want to follow him on Twitter, he is at CA underscore Rockets. And again, this is Locked on Rockets, the only daily podcast covering the Houston Rockets. So for now, folks, enjoy the rest of your Monday. And we'll be talking again very soon throughout the week, more Rockets Timberwolves as the first-round matchup goes on. As always, thanks to you guys for listening here at Locked on Rockets, the home for daily discussion on Houston Rockets basketball.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.